I really feel blessed that Pastor Jeff has given me the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I really want it to be a message from the Lord. I want it to be from His heart. I want it to be something that encourages you, but also something that perhaps exhorts you and me and spurs us on to be all we can be in Christ and do greater things for Him. Amen? So thank you, Pastor Jeff. I hope you're having a good couple of days of relaxation. We thank you for all you do. And I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak this morning. It's very important for me, although I tend to be very well prepared. I spend a lot of time in preparation. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I think. I don't want my words to come to you. I really want the Lord to use me. I want the Holy Spirit to use me to speak to your heart right where you are at, whatever you need. Amen? And so, you know, I'm willing to forego my notes or whatever and rely on Him. But I want you to join with me and pray again. I know you're thinking, oh, this guy's a prayer fanatic. Well, you know what? Yes, I am. Because more than anything else today, we need prayer. We really need to be on our knees and we really need to be seeking God. Amen? So I want to pray that God would give me the right words. He would sort out these notes I have and throw out what He doesn't want and put in something that He wants. I mean, it's His, right? I just want to be His mouthpiece. So I want to ask you to pray again with me. I want you to pray for me. And I want you to pray for ourselves so that we would be open to whatever God wants to speak to us. Amen? You can have the best seed, but if the ground is horrible, it's not going to go anywhere. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Father, you are great. You are mighty. You are wonderful. Father, I pray that you would somehow use me as your mouthpiece this morning to share what you want shared. Lord, I just don't want to give a nice little message. I want to speak to your people from your heart and say what you want said. And Father, I pray that the soil of our hearts would be open, that the soil would be fertile and receptive, And Father, we pray against the enemy stealing the word from anyone before they have a time to apply it to their own lives. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather in Jesus' name and Holy Spirit. I really ask you to take over this morning. Holy Spirit, use me. Open up each one of us. Amen. I'd like you to open with me to John 15, verse 8. Very important verse. This kind of sets the tone for what I believe the Lord wants me to share this morning. I'm going to be talking about fruitfulness, not being fruity. Talk about being fruitful, to be all that we can be, to accomplish great things for God. So I want to start out with John 15, verse 8. And this is Jesus speaking, right? And Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let me repeat that. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What is Jesus concerned about? Jesus is concerned that the Father receive glory. What does it mean to give the Father glory? It means to lift Him up and to praise Him and to thank Him and say how great He is and place Him before people as who He really is. Amen? He's great. And Jesus says that we will show ourselves to be His disciples. In what way do we show that? By bearing much fruit. So we're going to talk about bearing fruit. We're going to talk about fruitfulness. I want to set the stage a little bit more by saying there's a real pattern of lawlessness that's dominating our society today. And unfortunately, this pattern of lawlessness is found in civilizations that are in the process of decline. It's a pattern evidence in nations that reject God's word as ultimate authority. And it's prevailing in many Americans today. As a society, we've gotten used to illicit sexual relationships, adolescent promiscuity, abortion, cheating, lying, stealing, prostitution, rape, divorce, and even murder. And we've gotten used to financial mismanagement on a civil and personal level. And we've also accepted political corruption. Amen? And of course, we have the present popularity of same-sex marriage. When I heard the decision of the Supreme Court that same-sex marriage is now the law of the land in all 50 states, my spirit grieved. Did anyone else feel that way? I'm not talking about our minds being in trouble. I'm talking about such a heaviness. Wow. We've really, I think, gone too far. We knew we were off base, but we're really going too far. The Holy Spirit, who reminds me of all that Jesus said and all that Jesus wants, grieved in my spirit. And let me say this, Christians should stand firm. God created marriage. No human being has the right or authority to redefine it. No matter what governments or societies sanction, homosexual unions will never have equality with heterosexual marriages in the sight of God. And you know what? My opinion doesn't matter. What does matter is what God says. Now you may say, why am I bringing that up? I'll tell you what, we need to be pertinent in society today. We need to speak to the issues that confront us. And so I present that to you. Perhaps you don't agree with me. But I believe that the Supreme Court cannot sanction something that doesn't exist. Same-sex marriage does not exist. And so you can't make it legal in all the 50 states. How we're going to live with that, how we're going to work with that, I don't know. 
I do know that we need to be kind to everyone and compassionate to everyone, no matter what issues they're facing personally in their lives. But we also have to speak the truth to a society that is really going off end. Amen? We've rejected personal, social responsibility and learned to blame anyone or anyone else for our problems and our failures. The American ideal today is me first, to do what I want, when I want, to whom I want, regardless of who or what it may hurt. These are the signs of a society that has gone terribly wrong. I like you, would like you to open up with me to Matthew 24, verse 12. And it's kind of interesting in planning for today. As I said, there were so many thoughts in my mind, and actually there were many days I had a hard time really having this message come together. But I really believe that God has given me these scriptures He wants to share with you. So I hope that you really take them seriously, and even when you go home today, that you'll feed on them and consider them and apply them to your own lives. This is Matthew 24, verse 12. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus isn't another great leader, prophet, teacher, although he is great in all those areas. He said, I am God. And this is God speaking to us. And this is what he says. And we need to be aware of this. The things that we see going on in our world should trouble us, but they shouldn't discourage us. It's all signs of what Jesus said. It's all coming together. And the good news is Jesus wins. And the good news is that it's a sign that Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Jesus said in the last days, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, it's very important to understand in this scripture what the word love means. The word love here is the Greek word agape. And it's a love that people only have because God has given it to them. Now, there are other words for love mentioned in the Bible and in society, but agape love is a love that people only have because God's given it to them. So, this is the word used in this particular passage, and the people whose agape love is growing cold must have had a relationship with him in the first place. And so it refers to those who God has called out into relationship with him. And so the love of most will grow cold. Those who have agape love because God's given it to them will experience that love starting to diminish and starting to wane. And it's kind of a word of warning for each one of us. So it's important to differentiate between agape love and another type of love mentioned in the Bible, phileo love. Phileo love means to be a friend to, to be fond of someone. 
indicating having affection for someone else. Now, this is very different than agape love. Agape means a deliberate, a sense of the will as a matter of principle and duty. Let me repeat that again. Phileo love means to be a friend who would be fond of. But Jesus is talking about agape love. Agape love is a deliberate decision of the will as a matter of principle and duty. Agape love is manifested first towards God because it's a dutiful, submissive love towards Him. And one who has agape love does what is right regardless of how the person feels about it. The Bible shows that we show agape love to the Father through our obedience and submission to Him and His Word. We show agape love to one another through sacrifice. We follow the example of Jesus, a sacrifice to those around us. We put God first, we serve Him, and we show sacrificial love for others. Does that make sense? And so the real meaning of Matthew 24, verse 12, is this. Agape love will grow cold because of lawlessness. Even though there may still be brotherly love and human affection. We show agape love through obedience, which is the opposite of lawlessness. So when disobedience or lawlessness increases, agape love grows cold. When there's a setting aside of God's standard of righteousness and holiness, when the submissive love toward God and the sacrificial love towards man begins, will begin to get cold. It's a simple cause and effect relationship. I believe that our countries, and we're not alone in this, but I'm talking about our country and our society, I believe that America's rejection of our Creator God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ is the reason behind all the bloodshed, the violence, the racial hatred, the moral decay, the drug abuse, and the political correctness at the expense of truth in our society. Lawmakers have made God an unspeakable subject. Even in prisons, did you know there's a ban on religious mottos, including the Ten Commandments? In the armed forces, members are punished for displaying Bible verses. And chaplains may not pray in Jesus' name. Consider where we are in the summer of 2015. Violence is exploding in our cities, our schools. Racism is tearing us apart. And it appears things are getting worse, not better. The Supreme Court has redefined marriage. Abortions are occurring at more than one million a year. And I believe this has put America on the fast track to God's judgment. Since 1973, Americans have murdered 57 million children through abortion. 
Poverty is growing. Drug and alcohol use is epidemic. Abroad, Iran is closing in on the nuclear bomb. ISIS is exploding across the Middle East. The Kremlin is growing more aggressive. Yet, our politicians continue to bicker, stall, or even golf. Even as many abdicate their constitutional responsibilities. This is the reason why many Americans have little or no hope for the future have little or no confidence in the government, little confidence in the media, and far too little confidence in the church. Many people see little reason to go to church, and we're drifting from whatever faith we once had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even sadder than this, many churches no longer exalt Jesus Christ as Lord and as King. There was a survey released just last month in May. It showed that the Christian percentage of the population dropped a whopping 8% since 2007. Almost every major branch of Christianity in the United States has lost a significant number of members. And as a sub-point, one-third of millennials... They are those that were born between 1990 and 1996. Now say they are unaffiliated with any faith. That's up 10 percentage points since 2007. And it's not just millennials leaving the church. In every demographic group, whether married, single, rich, poor, young, there's a significant drop in the number of people who call themselves Christians. And I want to say this. This is my analysis. Because man has rejected God's word and submission to him, man has been given over to a reprobate mind that seeks self-gratification over responsibility to others. This was an addition that I felt the Lord gave me last night. And although it's several verses, I want to read it. I want you to read along with me and see what you think. I felt the Lord said, read this scripture, so I'm going to do that. It talks about this reprobate mind. What's a reprobate mind? A reprobate mind is a depraved mind. I want you to look with me. In Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. And I've kind of typed out the scripture because I didn't want an occurrence of the gradually fading stand with my Bible going down. So I thought I would type it up, but you can follow along your Bible. And I want you to think about this and pray about this even during the week. And see what you think about it. Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. And it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, 
because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, this is the result. Listen to this and read along with this. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know that God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. What do you think of that? Is that pertinent today? Does that have any meaning for us? I don't think I probably have to say too much about it, but I really want you to think about it. That's God's judgment. Now, we belong to God, and He will never separate Himself from us. But you know, unfortunately, as a society goes down, we suffer too. When the godly rule, the people rejoice. Everything goes well for everybody. But what we're seeing is people wonder about God will judge. God's judgment is already upon us. It's happening. It's working out. Do you see it? His judgment is there, and it will affect us. But the good thing is we know Jesus. We need to stay strong in Him, and we need not to get discouraged. Turn to someone and say, don't get discouraged. This is the greatest time of ministry upon us. 
As the darkness gets darker, the light will become brighter. A depraved or a reprobate mind is a mind that can no longer see truth. A reprobate or depraved mind makes the imagination go wild. A reprobate or depraved mind leads people to do things that shouldn't be done. Does it make sense now? We see, their eyes are blinded. It's God's judgment. God says, if you want it, I'll let it go full course. Watch, here we go. And you just have to turn on TV, you know, we watch the cooking channel and Lois is addicted to Hallmark Channel. But that's about all that we watch. We watch the news. But you know, it's permeating society. But this is the time for the church to shine. We may be grieved. We say, wow, there's going to be a great opportunity because when the light shines in the darkness, people are going to be astounded by the light that they see. Not all is lost. Many Americans today really love Christ dearly and love His Word. People care for the poor, do works of Christian service. All is not lost. The good news is that, like Esther, God has brought us to our position in Christ for such a time as this. (coughs) Pardon me. As the darkness gets darker, the light will shine brighter if we're prepared and ready. Now, a lot of us may be a little bit surprised, thinking, gee, I thought uh, my main job was to come and get ministered to, receive the Word, and, you know, go home and read my Bible or whatever. We have been being prepared by God for such a time as this. I believe we are going to see more and more opportunities to share the gospel with other people. Are you ready? Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to share a testimony? God's been preparing us for such a time as this. Esther didn't know why she was in the position that she was, why why she was shown favor. It's because God wanted to use her. And you know what? God wants to use you. And God wants to use me. Pastor Jeff talked recently about the four soils in Matthew 13, which represent the conditions of the hearer's heart. And I don't have to go through that whole sermon, but I want to point out to you that Jesus mentioned four different soils. And only one soil was receptive. One in four. 25% of the soil would bear fruit. Jesus said, but he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now you may be saying, where am I going with this? I'm going along this track of letting you know where we are and where things are at and trying to lead us along the road, along the track of fruitfulness. 
This can be the time of our greatest fruitfulness. What is fruitfulness? What is bearing fruit? Essentially, it's becoming like Jesus. It's basically having his character, having his vision, and doing the things that the Father calls us to do. As we spend time with Jesus, we get to know him better. Our thoughts become, his thoughts become our thoughts. His purpose becomes our purpose. We begin to become like Jesus. The Father wants us to be fruitful. Did you realize that? Now, we're saved freely. We can't earn salvation. We can't do anything to get us salvation other than believe in Jesus Christ and confess our sins. But God wants us to be fruitful. Think about this. Before you were even born, God knew you. God planned for you. God wanted to use you. God has special things He wants you to do. And some of them you're doing already. But He's going to reveal more and more to you as you continue to be obedient to Him. God has a plan. God planned for you. He doesn't want your life to be empty. He gave you the grace to be able to believe in Jesus Christ, to become saved, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But He wants us to be fruitful. We have to live with the sense, I need to do the works that God wants me to do. Look with me in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. These are really a couple of verses here that we should know by memory, able to tell other people about it. But I want us to be clear, this is what it's all about. This is what salvation is all about, and this is what we're called to do. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not because of works, anything that you've done, so that no one of us can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen? We can't earn salvation. It's a free gift. As we put our faith in Jesus Christ, no matter where we've been, what we've done, if we sincerely accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we will be saved. It's a gift from God. But God is forming us and changing us. It says we are God's workmanship. He's been changing us. Have any of you been changed since you've known Jesus? We are His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. We were born again. We were born naturally, but we were born again spiritually in Jesus Christ. And God started changing our thoughts, our emotions, our character in order that we would be prepared to do what God wants us to do. There are many ways a Christian can be fruitful, but any true fruitfulness begins in the heart. The inner fruit affects outward actions and our words and our activities will glorify God. We have been given the Holy Spirit. 
He lives inside of us. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And He's changing you. He's convicting you. He's working on you. He's producing the character of Christ in you. He's also empowering you to bring the gospel to others and to serve others sacrificially. And the result of spiritual fruitfulness is basically God is glorified, we grow, and God's will for our lives is accomplished. I want to share a scripture. You may say, why would he choose that? Well, actually, the Lord impressed this scripture on me a while back. It's probably a couple of months ago in my own personal prayer time. I sat down labeling it, and I labeled it in my Bible, The Road to Fruitfulness. And I thought, this would be a great teaching. So I'm going to share that with you this morning, have us look at it. And it's from the book of Job, not one we preach from very often. But it's from the book of Job, chapter 22. I want to look at verses 21 to 30. Do you have that now? Job 22, verses 21 to 30. I'm going to read from the New International Version. And the background for this, these verses of Job 22 are part of a speech given by Eliphaz, one of Job's friends. They were given to Job when he was being severely tested and suffering desolation. Now, the interesting thing is, Eliphaz's words didn't apply to Job at all. Job didn't need to turn back to God. Job didn't need to repent. Job was in right standing with God. The trials and difficulties he he was experiencing were a result of God allowing Satan to severely test him. Amen? And so the interesting thing is Eliphaz's words don't apply to Job at all. But you know what? They may apply to us. Let's look at it. I'm going to read from verse 21. It says, Submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from His mouth and lay up His words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir, to the rocks and the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God You will pray to Him and He will hear you. And you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low and you say, lift them up, then He will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Now this to me, is how we get on the road to fruitfulness and the results of being on this road to fruitfulness. 
Now the NIV says, submit to God and be at peace with Him. The King James Version will have acquaint. I don't like acquaint because I have acquaintances and they're not real close friends. You know, I know them. I know something about them, but they're acquaintances. So I don't like the word acquaint. The real meaning of the word that's used here, which the NIV has translated submit, means to know intimately. It means to be of use or service to someone. A lot of people don't like to talk about submission, but we need to realize submission means to be in proper order with someone or something, to know intimately the parameters, the guidelines, so that we can be of use or service. And so we submit to God because He is the Creator. If I create something, I don't expect it to run off and do its own thing. God is the Creator. We are the creatures. We are answerable to Him. Amen? So we need to submit to God and be at peace. It means to be in covenants, to be in agreements, to recognize, yes, He is God. He's the Creator. I'm the creature. I need to be in a covenant agreement with Him and do what He wants. And it says, in this way, prosperity will come to you. Well, in the Old Testament, prosperity meant primarily material goods. But here the word means benefit, order, good things. Now, verse 22 says, accept instruction from his mouth. What this means is take hold of. You know, it's used in another uh, scripture verse to mean taking a wife. And so it talks about really accepting instruction, being yoked together, accept instruction from his mouth, be yoked to him, receive from him intimately. What this means to us in our own Christian lives, follow the Holy Spirit, study the word of God, lay up his words in your heart, his promises, his commands, know what they are, and make a decision that you're going to do it. In verse 23, it says, If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness from your tents. And so, to recommit, there's restoration, there's cleansing. Even as we sin, even though we're born-again Christians, if we sin, we need to go back to Jesus and ask for cleansing, and let His blood cleanse us, make us whole again. It says, if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent. I like this word tent here because it really reminds me that this home is not permanent. We spend so much time making our homes beautiful. We spend so much time spending money for things that are transient. These are tents. We are citizens of God. We are citizens of His kingdom. That's what will last forever. God isn't against us having things, but we need to have proper priorities in our lives. We don't put all our time and effort and money into something that's a tent. We put our time, effort, energy, and money into what is permanent. Amen? So it says, if you assign your nuggets to the dust, the gold of Ophir to the rocks in the ravine, 
then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Do you want God to be your gold? Do you want Him to be your silver? Do you want Him to be your priority? Well, whatever is precious to you, assign these precious nuggets to the dust. And the ravines. Ophir was on Solomon's trade route where people traded gold for goods. And so what he's basically saying, let the Almighty be your gold. Let the Almighty be your silver. Spend your money in the right way. Spend your time in the right way. Spend your energy in the right way. And now verses 26 to 30, these are the results of what we've just shared. The results will be, you will find delight in the Almighty. Serving God won't be an obligation. It will be a delight. You will lift up your face to God. You won't be ashamed. You won't be discouraged. You won't be guilty. And when you pray to Him, He will hear you. That's a good one, isn't it? If I regarded iniquity in my heart, God would not hear me. And so as we get right with God, as we allow Him to continually cleanse us, we will find ourselves seeing answered prayers. And you know what? And it says you will fulfill your vows. You ever find there's so many things you want to do for God, then you forget about it, you're not able to do it. If you put Him first... If you have a covenant relationship with Him, you will find that you will be able to do the things you said to God you would do. That you know He wants you to do. It says, what you decide on will be done. Light will shine on your ways, your direction, your moral character. You'll know where you're going. You'll understand there will be fulfilled vision. And you will walk under an anointing of God. When people are brought low and you say, lift them up, He will save them. Want to see power in prayer? You want to see effective ministry to other people that can't help themselves? If you're in right relationship with God, if you're on the road to fruitfulness, you will see the results in other people who can't lift themselves up. You will say... Lift them up, and they'll be lifted up. Amen? He will even deliver one who's not innocent through the cleanliness of your hands. You want to see unbelievers saved? We need to let God deal with us. Well, it looks like I'm saying an awful lot. I'm sorry. I hope you're not bored. I guess I'll look towards winding this down. Unless you want to make this a weekend occurrence here. (laughs) I just really want to share with you what God's put on my heart. And I know you're all great people, but you know what? The time is for all of us to mature a little bit more. And not just be receivers, we need to be givers. We need to be looking forward to seeing how we can serve God. Not because we have to but because we delight in Him. We love Him. We want to be fruitful. When we stand before Jesus, we want Him to say, well done, you did a great job. Regardless of the sin we've struggled with, He's forgiven it. He's cleansed it. 
He's not going to bring up any sin we've been cleansed of. We don't have to be ashamed. But we will hear him say, well done. Good job. You heard me and you did it. I always look at someone like David. David did terrible things. He was an adulterer. He had Bathsheba's husband killed. He did a lot of terrible things. And God said, he is a man after my own heart. Why is that? Because David did everything that God told him to do. Amen? That was the big difference between Saul and David. Saul did what he wanted, and David did what God wanted. So summing this up here, I thank you for your patience. I want to just pose a few things here. What can I do to be fruitful? Have a strong personal relationship and commitment to Jesus Christ. If you don't know God personally, I'm not talking about having some knowledge about God. I'm talking about knowing Him personally. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know Him. He lives inside of you. He speaks to you. Right? You're not crazy. He speaks to you. My sheep know my voice. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, I'm not sure that you do. Today is the day. Don't put it off. You can't assume that you will have tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. We live in a very uncertain world. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, say to Him today, Lord Jesus, I want to know You personally. I want to accept You, Jesus, as my Savior. I am a sinner I want to be cleansed of my sin. I want to be forgiven. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit and power. If you do know Jesus, start praying regularly and powerfully. Now, I'm not talking about just a blessing before eating. Okay, great. I'm glad we do that. Is that what God is asking for? I think we need to go beyond the basic teachings, right? Continue to bless your food. But do you know what? We need to spend time with Him every day. It amazes me the number of people who say they know Jesus and they want to serve Him and love Him and all that. They can't pray for, for more than three or four minutes. Now, I have a prayer guide available. Many of you remember that we're here. I did a teaching. It was on August 3rd, 2014. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can. It was talking about daily prayer guide. And I prepared prayer guides for people that you could use every day. Keep it in your Bible. Take it out. It will help guide you what to pray for. And you'll be amazed. You'll wind up praying a half hour, an hour. There are some prayer guides available on the table with the other information about the Oasis. Pick one up if you don't have one. But I really ask you to make a decision in your heart that you want to pray more. I'm talking about these superficial little things. We're not dealing with superficial problems in the world, are we? We don't want our love to grow cold. We have to get stronger. 
in Him. And we have to be able to pray effectively for other people. What else can we do? Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you, you can't live the Christian life without reliance on the Holy Spirit. This isn't a self-help course. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to us because we would need the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. He's God. He's God, the Holy Spirit. You need to pray every day, Holy Spirit, I want to be more open to you. I want to yield to you. Make me holy. Open up opportunities for me. Help me to pray. He's the helper. He's the helper that Jesus sends. Ask Him to fill you with power. Ask Him for opportunities. Every day to tell someone about Jesus, to pray for someone, or to invite someone to church. Read your Bible regularly. That's a given. A chapter a day would be a good start. I use the Life Application Study Bible because it has great notes on the bottom. If you're not sure what a passage means, you can always read and it will tell you what it means. So you may want to consider that. Be part of a local church. There are no solo Christians. You were saved and put in the body of Christ. You weren't put in your living room to turn on the boob tube and listen to someone else talk about Jesus. We were called to be part of the body, to be a functioning part, to do our part, and to receive from others. The last thing, a lot of people don't know, the devil can't read your mind. So sometimes you just have to say to him, get off me. Stop bringing this heaviness on me. Go back in Jesus' name. Get off me. This oppression I feel coming over me. Get back in Jesus' name. I won't walk in that. I'm walking in Holy Spirit power. Get off me, devil. Get off me, oppression. Amen? I ask the worship team to come up. Sorry if I went a little long, but you can tell I'm concerned about this topic. You can complain to Pastor Jeff when you see him next week. These are dangerous days. These are days that call for radical discipleship. Turn to someone and say, I need to be a little more radical. Don't be afraid to be called a fanatic. A fanatic is good. A Christian fanatic is good. It means someone who knows who they are in Christ and they know they can do something about the situation. Amen? Want to stand up as they lead us here? I want to ask you, again, I didn't come to give a nice little word. I come to ask you to consider some of the things that the Lord has told me to share with you. I want you to make a note right now in your mind of at least one thing or two things that God said to you today. So you don't lose them. What did God speak to you personally today about? And you need to remember that. And you need to work on that. God doesn't hit us with everything all at once, but what did He tell you today was a word for you 
today. Amen.